What's up, everybody? My name's Ryan, also known as Carol, and you're listening to episode number 20 of Granny Shot, your not-so-serious all-things-NBA pod. We've got a great episode planned for today, but before we jump into it, please give us a follow or subscribe wherever you're listening, and also be sure to check out our Twitter, at GrannyNBA. All right, so today's agenda will look like this. We're going to kick it off as we always do with our NBA trivia question of the week. That's going to be themed around the topics that we discuss in that particular episode. We're going to dive into the Rocky start to the Nets big three era, and then we're going to lead that into the Cavs surprising form, a team that beat the Nets twice this week. Uh, we're going to be looking at that particularly from a Andre Drummond perspective in terms of what the Cavs decide to do with him. And of course, we'll wrap it up with our granny fantasy segment where we preview the week ahead from pickup candidates to buy low, sell high candidates as well. But before we jump into it, I'm joined by my fellow NBA self-proclaimed experts, Don and Delco. Guys, how you doing on this lovely Sunday morning? Doing good, Ryan. Stayed up a little late for the UFC fights last night. Yeah, so I'm feeling it this morning, but got some coffee in me. So good to go. Excited to talk about basketball. It's been a, a messy week with all the cancellations with COVID. So there's a lot to talk about. I'm not doing so well. I'm not going to lie. Last night, I I heard some scratching in my walls and discovered that there is hopefully a mouse and not a rat living in my wall and I was like vacuuming and slamming on the wall and he would just stop and listen for like two seconds and then he eventually got used to the slamming and just kept (laughs) kept digging away even when I was slamming so I'm ready for that uh, intense psychological warfare with with that little guy should be fun next couple weeks that's part of the Brooklyn charm isn't it having rats and mice in your wall hey yeah new roommates that's always exciting are they paying rent not yet, but we'll negotiate that in the future. <laughs> All right. So I I had a pretty interesting night last night. I watched the Suns versus the Nuggets game, which ended up being an awesome game. Jamal Murray hit a three to send it to overtime. And then in overtime, Jay Crowder hits a broken play three to send it to double overtime. Uh, that was just a, a really fun game. We're not really going to dive into that one, but just wanted to call that out. And then another thing, I've got a question for you guys completely off topic in regards to basketball, but I got into an argument and I want to see where you guys land in this. If you put icing on top of a muffin, does it become a cupcake? Settle the argument for me. That's absurd. It does not. Completely different topics we're talking about. Like whoever, I hope you were the one who said that. I want to hear your opinion before I tell you which side I was on. Man, I, I didn't do any research into this. That's a philosophical question right there. I I feel like it is. I mean, what is the definition of a cupcake? Thank you. See, I think it I think it becomes a dessert and it becomes in the cupcake tier as soon as you add icing. It's no longer a breakfast pastry. That's false. Completely false. Have you ever, you ever had like a breakfast date like a breakfast strudel? Like those have icing. That's not a dessert. That's a breakfast. Well, that's just an also, excuse to eat dessert in the morning. No, also, a cupcake is a cake like base. A uh, muffin is not. Uh, a muffin and a muffin and a cake have completely different textures, ingredients. Like those are different items. We need to call it more see, steward see, over I, here. I don't think so. Yeah, maybe you, you think we can get no, Martha. That, that's on? not for debate. That's not for debate. When you make a cake and you make a muffin, you use different ingredients. It absolutely is for debate. That's why we're debating it, Don. Okay, and I'm on the side of it being a cupcake if you add icing. We'll end it there, but if anyone has any any sides that you want to take there, I'm interested to hear it because I got into a huge argument about it this weekend. If if we could get like a scientific expert who focuses on muffins onto the show, I think that'd be great. 
Dr. Muffin, we're calling you. All right, so let's dive into actual basketball topics. And as we always do, we start with the granny quiz question of the week. And as I noted earlier, we're going to be talking about the Big Three era in Brooklyn as well as the Cavs. But in the spirit of the Big Three era starting and in the spirit of KD's hot start, he's currently second in the league in scoring. And Kyrie is currently third in the league in scoring. So our question is going to be themed around that. So granny quiz question of the week question is... Since 2003, two duos from the same team have finished in the top five in scoring per game. Name those duos. And so I specifically picked from 2003 because that was the end of the Shaq-Kobe era where we know that Shaq and Kobe finished in the top five of scoring multiple years on the Lakers. So again, two duos from the same team since 2003 have finished in the top five in scoring per game. Name those duos. We'll get to the the answers at the end of the episode. But as of right now, the Nets could get added to that list at the end of the season with Kyrie and KD being in the top five. Ponder it. Any any thoughts there? Questions? There's two, right? You're you're looking for two? Correct. Two separate duos. Separate. Okay. That's a good one. You're you're becoming the basketball quiz master, Carol. The quiz master. I like it. All right, so yeah, we'll we'll get to the answers there at the end of the episode. Let's dive right into the main topic here, which is the start of the Big Three era in Brooklyn. It's been a rocky start. They have now played three games, one game without all three of them together. But the first game after Kyrie's sabbatical, whatever you want to call it, he comes back, they play the Cavs, it's Kyrie, Harden, and KD all on the floor together, and they lose in a double overtime game to the Cavs, in which Colin Sexton had a pretty incredible fourth quarter and overtime performance. Um, the second game, KD doesn't play, and they play the Cavs again, and they lose more handily this time. It was a close game in the first half. The Cavs end up creating some separation in the third quarter, and they maintained that separation for the most part through the fourth. And then the third game, KD comes back. So it is the big three playing all on the same floor again together. They do beat the Heat. They win a close one by four, but it is also worth noting that the Heat were pretty depleted. No Tyler Hero. They continue to be without Jimmy Butler. So I think it's fair to say that the big three era in Brooklyn has started uh, maybe not to the expectations that Brooklyn was hoping. So what are your guys' first impressions or maybe your way too early overreactions after the first three games here? I don't think there's anything super surprising about how the big three era has kicked off. It's a brand new trio. There's not a lot of depth. They haven't had a lot of time to practice or get to know each other. I don't believe I was alone in taking the under on them this regular season and standing by that uh, was expecting some growing pains from this trio. At the end of the day, if they want to be the big three and they actually do want to make that finals run, they're going to have to play defense. And right now, they're not doing that at all. There's no surprises on the offensive end. You only need one of those three to be on for them to be almost impossible to stop. And if two or three of them are on, it's going to be a nightmare. You know, what do you do when (laughs) you have to contain Harden? And worry about Kevin Durant and, oh, your your third guy has to keep an eye on Kyrie Irving, three of the best scorers of this generation. So that's always going to be a problem. But if if you watch their games and how they've started, 
again, I know they haven't been able to really practice or get to know each other, but the defense is atrocious. It's it's embarrassing. And no matter how many points you're scoring, if if you're just <laughs> letting the other team completely score it well, will you say they have two of the top five scores, the number one scorer is whoever is going against them on that current game. So until they get their act together on defense, which I'm sure they eventually will, they're going to struggle and they're going to lose some games. But I'm sure they'll they'll bring it all together when it matters. You know, I really like I like the Cavs and the energy they have when they play. Very infectious, and it's just fun to watch as a basketball fan. I think we talked about them in previous podcasts a good bit and how we all thought maybe they would cool off because they rely a lot on their scoring, especially from the perimeter and from their guard play. They're without Sexton and Garland for a while. Both are back now. They're looking like a dangerous team, especially now with Jared Allen on that team, um, completing more of the the front court situation there. So I think it's an ode to the Cavs more than it is the Nets not performing as well so far. I think based off what Delco said, I agree. Kyrie was gone for one and a half, two weeks, and then he comes back randomly, starts practicing the same week that Harding gets sent there. There's not been enough time for them all on the same team to, to mold and merge and play together. So I think they're going to be fine. But I do worry about the depth. I worry about their front court. DeAndre Jordan is, you know, a shadow of himself. I will say, last podcast, I said they will win it all. I still stick to that, but I think more needs to be done for that team. I don't think DeAndre Jordan can be the starting center. Depth issues are very concerning right now when I watch them. So I know they're all going to click and they're all going to right, mold together. But as Delco said, the defense doesn't exist. And you do need defense, even if you're putting even if you're putting out 90, 100 points, you need to be able to defend the ball. And so, I mean, Kevin Durant is pretty decent at defense. But like yeah, 90, 90 to 100 points just between three players, right? One thing I'm going to disagree with a little bit is like, I, I agree that we don't want to overreact here in the sense that they just got together. They need time to figure things out. That's totally fair. That happens with everybody. But they're not having any problems on the offensive side of the ball, to your points, right? So I, I don't know that it's just like a quick fix on defense because James Harden's never played defense in his career. And Kyrie Irving's played limited defense in his career. So I would say I'm a little worried from that perspective because they just don't have that grit and hustle. And I think it's going to be really hard for them to just try to just turn that on all of a sudden. Yeah, I agree with that. I think a lot of people watching are going to see that there is that inconsistency on defense and it's going to take, it's going to take time for them to find the the need to establish that. Cause I think a lot of them right there, they've always been offensively dominant. And uh, I guess that's not, I just made a question out of that. They're purely offensive dominant players and they have no support now um, trading away most of their assets and most of their defense. So I'm worried about them actually. I mean, the more I talk, I think the more I talk about it, I worry about it. It's like one of those things where, if you don't talk about it, it's like out of sight, out of mind. But when you actually start putting your head into like the actual idea of that team, there is cause for concern. I think most people would say that. And I feel that typically a team with this much talent can rely on some of the the underpaid, you know, maybe not as talented, grittier guys to step in and play defense. But when you look at what they're dealing with, you have Shamit, who I don't think is physically capable of defending anyone. Jeff Green, who is older and not a great defender, Joe Harris is okay. Whoa, whoa, you know, whoa, whoa. I think I think Jeff Green fits that mold pretty well. How old is? I Jeff think Green? he's the one. I think he's the one person on the roster that actually is willing to get down and do the dirty things on the defensive side of the floor right now. Jeff Green's always down to do the dirty things, but 
he's also he's also 34 years old and i think your point where oh jeff green is the best suited to play defense on this team and it's a 34 year old who has been kind of a journeyman his whole career that that's not a good sign for this team no it's not like i i agree with that point too but i i just i don't want to disrespect jeff green because jeff green's a very solid defender he's been a solid defender his whole career and he's probably going to end up guarding the best player on the other team for the foreseeable future unless they bolster their roster up so to that point it seems pretty clear that they're going to need to make a move if they really want to compete unless they expect someone like bruce brown to step up and be a great defender in crunch time they're going to need to make a move but they're also going to really need to just change their mentality i think that Effort is the number one thing that jumped out to me. The Cavs just wanted it more. There were multiple plays in both games where the Cavs were just the first of the ball. Then there was just no real excuse as to why the Nets weren't there. There was one segment where Colin Sexton poked the ball away from Kyrie. Kyrie seemed a little surprised that the ball got poked away from him. And then he just stood there and watched Colin Sexton take the ball and go the length of the floor for a layup. There is another segment similar to that where Garland just outran the entire team for a loose ball and the Cavs end up getting a layup on the other end of the floor. So I, I think effort is something that's hard to coach for superstars that are 30 years old now, right? And have had a history of just outscoring people and not necessarily that being their uh, their value, right? Is, is just bringing effort onto the floor. And all, all three of these guys are already Hall of Famers, so they don't have too much to prove. Um, I, I agree with you there. It's going to be it's going to be tough to get them to to lock in. Although I, I do think they all want a championship here, so we'll see yeah. how they respond. Yeah, and it's very possible that they just outscore everybody. Like that's also still a possibility. It, they, they could not improve on the defensive end and still be very very competitive and make a run to the finals by just outscoring people. So it's like this time old tale though where. You have a champion or you have you have someone who's outperforming everyone else. And can they keep that momentum up? Right. Like where is their hunger and their drive coming from every every champion, whether it's an individual person or a team has to ask themselves that question. What are you playing for? Is it is it legacy? Is it another championship? Kevin Durant got his championship with you know going to the Warriors. who was seeking that for a long time. Uh, Kyrie obviously got his in Cleveland with the Cavs. And now you have Harden, big question mark in the playoffs, especially. And I, I, the biggest thing to me is we talk about effort. Right? Ryan talked about how you have to find that effort for them. Like, where do they fit? And like, where do they find their energy? What's going to drive them to play on both sides of the ball? Because you can clearly tell that the Cavs wanted that more and they had more energy in that game. And are the Nets going to be able to find that this season? And that's really going to define their play. And at the end of the day, it's going to define if they end up winning a championship this season. Yeah, and so I, I will acknowledge that the Nets realize this, right? Read a quote from Joe Harris where he was asked specifically if he thought that the reason for their losses to the Cavs was more of a scheme thing or an effort thing. And I'll re- I'll actually read the quote. He said, quote, I don't think it really matters what you draw up at this point if everybody's not bought in, everybody's not together. It's hard to win in this league regardless of how much talent you have. So he's very clearly acknowledging it's not a scheme thing. It's not a talent thing, obviously. It's an effort thing. And they got to get gritty. They got to be willing to get physical on the defensive end and be willing to dive on the floor and be willing to make those winning plays that don't show up in the box score. So I I, th- I thought that that was an important thing, that they're acknowledging it. And Steve Nash made comments that also kind of highlighted that as well. 
that's a tall ask for someone with you know one of their best three players is going to just leave the team unannounced and stay away for a while and not really give a reason so it, it'll be really interesting to see how they can respond and if they can be, become this gritty team it, I, I don't really see it in any of their personalities but that there's so so much talent there an unbelievable amount of talent and if if Nash can get these guys to become gritty just for a season you know and really want it I'm talking like how Kevin Garnett screaming anything is possible after he, you know, that level of passion. <laughs> then I don't it. see how I don't see how this team could possibly lose if they brought that every night. But none of those three guys have anywhere even nothing even remotely close to Kevin Garnett passion. No, <laughs> not, not even close. KG is top tier passionate NBA player, and I love him for it. All right. Uh, any other comments on the Nets here? I think everyone knows what they need to do and what they need to find in order to win, not only in the short term, but in the long term as well. And by playoffs and by the, you know, when it matters, I'm sure they're going to care. But it is really just that it's not the 99%, it's the 100%. Like, even in the playoffs, can they light that flame and really want it and, you know, do what it takes? I think that's the biggest question mark going forward because they're going to make the playoffs. But even when they're in the playoffs, Two out of three of them already have a championship. How much are they lusting for that, you know, that other go? I think that's yeah. a big question for me. Yeah, well, we'll have to see and we'll monitor it throughout the season to see if they can light that fire on the defensive end and be a little bit grittier than what we think they can be. Uh, one thing I'm just going to call out real quick is, dude, KD is absolutely balling. Coming off an Achilles injury, averaging 31 points a game, that's just continues to be remarkable to me as much as I, I don't really like the guy that much and how he's handled himself in his career and the way that he's moved from team to team. That's just utterly spectacular. So shout out to, to all, Katie for that. All his, all his haters, including me can say a lot about him and his mental toughness, but nobody can ever deny that this dude is not the purest of hoopers. He's so nice out there on the court. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It really is. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Cavs. We've already mentioned them a little bit here because of uh, their play against the Nets over the last week. But the Cavs are an interesting team right now. They sit within the playoffs within the East. And I think it's been a surprise to just about everybody the way that they're playing. They're strong on the defensive end to the points of effort. They are beating everybody in that sense. They seem to be one of the grittier teams in the league. If, If they lose, it's not because they're not leaving it all on the floor. And Colin Sexton is turning into what looks like a possible future all-star. He's been absolutely fantastic over the last week and the way that he went toe-to-toe with Kyrie and KD and Harden in that first game was awesome. I loved it. Talk about wanting players to not care who's on the other side of the floor and just getting in their face and getting up in their grill. Colin Sexton is that guy. Right. So let's talk about the Cavs. And one thing that we will dive into here after we kind of just give our high-level comments on the Cavs is Andre Drummond, what are they going to do with him? He's on an expiring contract at the end of the season. And it seems as though the Cavs would want to try to move that for whatever they can get. But we'll talk about that here after we get out this high-level comment. So, uh, Don, Delco, what do you guys think? Yeah, I love what the Cavs are doing. Uh, Their guard play has been fantastic. And what they've also, again, they've been without Sexton and Garland for a good bit of games this season already. And those two combined have made leaps this season, which really shows from the the scoring perspective, defense, and their front court is really nice. Jared Allen's going to be a fantastic addition to that team from a defensive standpoint. Also, his offensive skills are noteworthy. Um, they have Drummond, which we'll talk about. 
Larry Nance is getting minutes and Larry Nance is performing well. He's always been a good defensive player. I think everyone on that team just does the right thing to get the win. And like we talked about, at the end of the day, there is skill set and then there is passion and energy. And you find a lot of momentum with this team. Isaac Okoro is, is a very good defensive young player. He also helps him, like lighten up that team. Really pleasing to watch that team. They're like really fun. The Cavs used to be a team before LeBron and even after LeBron left, you would never watch one of those games. Like you wouldn't turn it on. You turn it on and then turn it off within like a minute or two unless your team was playing them. But um, they're a team that people want to root for, right? People love energy. They love underdogs. And I think they have a great story going for them. So it's been refreshing to watch. And I'm not surprised at all that Colin Sexton is making this leap. I think there were physical issues that he had to get past in the NBA in order to do that. But his scoring and his, again, his energy and his drive is really pushing him to the next level. And he's always been that type of player, even coming from high school, like he was a high energy, high motor, high passion type player. And I think the biggest question marks I had were, who fills in around him? And we've seen Garland step up and he's just coming back this week. So seeing now the team back in motion to where they were at the beginning of the season is really exciting. And I do think they can, if they stay healthy, they stay hungry, they can they can make a dent in the playoffs. I really believe that. I, I like this team too, uh, in terms of rooting for them. That the Cavs are like embodying that guy who shows up at the gym with you know, high gym shorts and goggles on and is trying way too hard and is just clearly not as good as everyone else on the court. And everyone, no one really takes him seriously until you realize halfway through, you're like, man, this guy's locking me down or he's getting every rebound. Or, you know, he really wants it. Everybody and, wants that guy on their team. You don't yeah, want to every, play against him. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's been so funny to watch because people are, may, maybe they'll start to take the Cavs more seriously, but the Nets just went in there and apparently didn't take them seriously twice. Uh, that that being said, I'm kind of selling this team at their peak, in my opinion. They, they are almost polar opposites of the Nets in terms of they have that effort. They're top five defense and, you know, toward the bottom on offense. They don't really have a lot of guys who can score, even though Sexton and, and Garland do seem to be making a bit of a jump. But both those guys are shooting over 44% from three. I fully expect that to come down. I expect some of this hot shooting to come down. And, you know, at some point, I think the the lack of talent will emerge and the Cavs will um, kind of go back. But I do, I do think that if I could go back to the over-unders, I would take the over on this team. They've clearly shown that they're going to be fighting no matter what. They're not going to be uh, sailing it in like some of these other bottom-tier teams might. So, Hats off to them. I, I don't see them as a real threat. And I I do think that they will be moving on from Drummond, who despite his fit in the modern NBA is having a fantastic defensive season. And I think is a big reason this team is doing so well on defense. Lack of talent. Damn, that's harsh for the Cavs. They're compared, gonna... compared to some of these other teams, right? I mean, compared to the Nets, it's not even close, right? Well, yeah, of course. I, I'm just giving you a hard time, really. But um one question I want to ask, and then we'll dive into some drum, drum and trade scenarios here is Kevin Love hasn't been playing. Don, you brought up that Larry Nance has been playing really well with him out. Do you guys think that one Kevin Love gets slotted back into the starting lineup when he comes back because they have been playing well without him? And two, do you think that Kevin Love would accept a role coming off the bench? I think he would accept a role coming off the bench. I think reality has set in a little bit for him with the injuries he's had lately. And 
I hopefully Kevin Love is a really great guy. I think he's been able to watch this team as well a lot and the the energy that they have and the momentum that they have. Him being put into the starting lineup would, in my opinion, completely kill that. I think he's a he's a smart enough player to know where he fits on a team and hopefully he can see like most of us see the Cavs have potential with the team they have. So I do not think he fits into the starting lineup uh, or slides right in when he comes back. I don't think he will want that. I think he accepts at least a slow entry back into that team. And eventually I would prefer to see him come off the bench. Yeah. I wouldn't mess with success there. And I'm sure K love will happily take a, a scoring role off the bench where he's allowed to, to kind of leave that squad a bit. So. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. So let's talk about Drummond and some uh, some trade ideas. So before the week started, I asked you guys to come up with a couple trade scenarios in which it would make sense for the Cavs to to ship him off. Who wants to start here with with uh, one that they have? Delco, I think you may have a good one. I, I can start. I looked through a lot of different trade scenarios here, and there's just not really a lot of possibilities honestly the the options are a bit limited i mean if you're trading for drummond you want to win now because his contract is running up and he's got to fit a specific role and his salary hit this year is huge and typically no one's really in a position to send back a big salary who's also competing in in win now mode so the options were limited but one trade that i did see that i think makes a lot of sense potentially for both teams is with the nets actually um, we we had a lot of discussions today about how their defense was lacking. Drummond's actually having an incredible defensive season. When you look at some of the statistics that he's putting up, like defensive win shares and some of those more advanced defensive stats, he's having a great season and a big reason why the Cavs are top five in defense this year. So my thought was you ship a injured Dinwiddie, who is not going to be contributing to the Nets this year, DeAndre Jordan, who is an older, worse, slower version of Andre Drummond, and Claxton, who is also injured and could potentially be important, but not important enough to not get someone back in the steal. And and then the Nets would get back Andre Drummond to fill in that hole at center that we've been discussing. And you're looking at a lineup now of Kyrie, Harden, Joe Harris, KD, and Drummond. Don't look too far after that on the bench because there won't be much there for you, but that's a really, really, really strong team. You have the big three, you have Joe Harris who fits nicely in there, and you finally have a defensive anchor that can kind of help with some of these deficiencies. At the end of the day, they're still going to have to do what Joe Harris was talking about, take accountability, work as a team uh, with you know switching and effort and things like that. But having a defensive anchor like Drummond really helps. And I think the Nets are one of the few teams who could take Drummond's lack of fit in the modern NBA and make it work with how talented they are surrounding him so i think that trade can make a lot of sense for both teams and and put the nets in in a pretty good championship position and and then in the future you know the the calves can open up some playing time for jared allen who they're clear clearly investing in and when dinwiddie comes back next year that's another really really underrated solid piece for that team i don't hate it i guess in the sense that the Nets are all in and they need to go all in and their bench already is questionable as is. Now send send away two injured guys that aren't going to contribute this year to your point and bring in Drummond to help with defense. And now they've got four all-star level players starting. I do question if the Cavs take that. I just, if I'm a Cavs fan, after the start that they have this season and 
you know, they're having success for the first time since the LeBron years. They may be like, you know, why are we taking on two injured guys, sending Drummond away? Let's just make the playoffs this year. But they want to get something back in return for Drummond. And I, I guess if I'm a Cavs fan, I could be talked into that trade. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, they gave up a second round pick for Drummond and they'll get back Dinwiddie next year. And DeAndre Jordan can stand there and be the backup to Jared Allen. And this really opens up the development of Jared Allen and the chemistry of that young team that, as Dan said, it's a new era for the Cavs. They seem to have their guys and, you know, this this kind of gets rid of that and brings gets some value for, for Drummond without letting him just walk. And I don't think they expect to, you know, make a finals run if he stays or anything. So why not get something back in return? Don, do you have any comments on that one or do you have any trades that you wanted to bring up? You know, I had trade ideas, but none of them ended up working. So I guess first hot take on, on Delco's trade is, I guess it's not hot take because you said the same thing. I think the Nets would like that more than the Cavs would. And I don't know if it would make sense for the Cavs to even trade away Drummond with the asset that he brings on defense and offense and the way the team is playing. And that goes back to the overall theme that I found when I was trying to make these trades involving Drummond. Not only can no team afford him, most teams can't afford him, but the teams that can, it makes no sense uh, for the Cavs to give up those players or, you know, to give up Drummond. So I tried to find trades. I really couldn't do it just from a salary cap perspective. And then from, from teams just, and not making sense. I don't I don't think he, he has moved. If the Cavs were underperforming this year, like most years, uh, we'd probably see him on the trade block and more rumors heating up about him. Um, I know like him going to the Hornets was a very consistent trade rumor for the last year, but I don't see it making sense. So no, I don't have any trades to give today. I think the Nets, I honestly think the Nets are maybe the only team that could get Drummond, but even then... Right. What what do the Cavs really gain in that trade? The disrespect to Spencer Dinwiddie, man, it just permeates in and out of the league. It's crazy. Yeah, but they're, they're worried about this year. They want to make the playoffs this year, too. I think maybe they shouldn't be worried about this year. and They shouldn't be worried about making sure they make the playoffs this year. But that's hard to tell a franchise that's seeing the first success in a while to to just kind of forego this season potentially by giving up Drummond and waiting for didn't want you to come back next year. So I, I, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of a Cavs fan and wondering if I would be excited about that or not. To your point, Dan, about the Hornets, I saw that trade. Everyone's probably seen that trade. I've seen rumors to the Raptors as well. Did some research on how I would maybe think it was a good option for both those teams. Can't find anything. As a Hornets fan, I hated all the options for the Hornets. It would include sending Cody Zeller, Miles Bridges, probably Malik Monk, and getting Drummond back. Don't like it. And the Raptors one typically would involve Norman Powell or and or Chris Boucher, who I don't even know if I would send Chris Boucher straight up for Drummond right now. So, yeah, I I didn't like anything that I saw. I I think the Nets one might be the most one of the more realistic ones right now, aside from sending him to a tanking team that is willing to take him on because his contract expires at the end of the season. I think some of the Hornets trades can make make some sense. I mean, they're not incredible, but as a Hornets fan, I would, you know, Zeller is also, his contract's up this year. I don't think we have any long-term plans with him. And I, we can ship some guys. And if, if we can get a first-round pick back with Drummond, it, it does seem like, you know, every year for us is kind of win-now mode. So why not go for a all-star defensive center and see if they can get a pick-and-roll game going with, with Melo? I mean, yeah, if we get a first round pick back, but I don't see that as realistic. Why would the Cavs give a first round pick to us 
just to take Drummond on for half a season? Well, we to make salary work, we'd have to send players, you know, young players like Miles Bridges and Malik Monk. And so it would depend on their level of belief in those guys. But at the end of the day, it's getting something for someone who's going to walk anyways. So I really do think the Cavs will be willing to take. Not if they're giving a first round pick. I don't think they're I don't think they're going to be willing to give up a first round pick to get Drummond off the books. It depends on their again on your valuation of Miles Bridges and Malik Monk. I mean, there's people around the league like what they see in Miles Bridges. He's super athletic. He could develop an outside shot. He's a you know solid defender. It's it's not insane. It's 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 not like they're just giving up the pick to get Drummond off the books. That's not the point of it. It's getting decent young talent back for someone they shipped a second round pick for. So at the end of the day, it would be a second round pick for a season of Zeller, Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, and maybe mcdaniels so it, it makes a little bit more sense in that context i i hate it i don't think miles bridges is worth the first round pick and let alone giving andre drummond away for the season as well but it's, it's funny that, you, when we when we spoke earlier you said you hated it for the hornets and now you're saying you hate it i hate bad. it for both teams i wouldn't want it for either team i think i think it makes sense it, it allows them to fill in some gaps on on that starting lineup that the Cavs, the young starting lineup that the Cavs are developing and gives the Hornets a much, much better version of Bismack Biombo. <laughs> Biz is our guy. We don't want to give up exactly. all that loyalty. Exactly. Sorry. So it sounds like we don't have a ton of drum and trade scenarios because it's just hard to find scenarios where both teams would be willing to take it. So we've got the Nets one that seems to be maybe the one we think is the most realistic. We disagree on the Hornets one. And that's about it. But if anyone's got any drum and trade scenarios I'd like to share with us, we're all ears because it was very difficult to find them. So let's move on to our granny fantasy segment of the week. If you haven't listened to us before, this is going to be a quick roundup of what we think may be a good pickup coming up in the next week or two. Maybe some buy high, buy low or sell high kind of players here. Guys, who's on your radar for this coming week or into the future? So back on back on my radar, most people probably didn't drop them. Uh, but Darius Garland, like I mentioned, is full steam ahead. He was out way longer than they said. They said one week, and he ended up being about two and a half, three weeks. So he's back on the radar. The Cavs as a whole, I think, are a nice team to look at for fantasy because they all do great jobs on both the offense and defensive side of the ball. Another player that I am, I guess I'm selling high on is Eric Bledsoe. He's a player that most people would have drafted that is now finding himself to the waiver wire in more competitive leagues. If you still have Eric Bledsoe, I would try to sell him to maybe someone who thinks he has higher potential on that Pelicans team. Watching him play, it doesn't seem like he's going to have a typical season like he did with the Bucks or even way long ago with the Suns. Um, so he's probably someone I'm selling high on. The biggest theme for fantasy by far has been the COVID tracings and how that impacts your schedule. It's definitely been difficult if you don't have if you don't have IR in your league or just in general if you don't have enough IR spots to f- fill the void of how many players you're losing. I think that's been a defining theme, especially just missing multiple games, uh, schedule changes, and how that's going to impact the back half of the season as well. Are you going to have these way extra games on your schedule when when other people don't? So there's a lot going on in fantasy, but the biggest takeaway is I think I'm eyeing the Cavs and the players on those teams, and then. Um, Selling high on Eric Bledsoe. 
Yeah, speaking of Cavs, one of the guys I'm looking at short term who's taking advantage of his situation is Larry Nance Jr. With K Love out, I'm I'm surprised he's been able to get so many minutes and fit so well with Jared Allen and Andre Drummond, but he's been playing fantastic as of late. Um, he's really a steals helping. machine, absolute steals machine. Two and a half steals per game last week. Um, brings the rebounds. Additionally, doesn't really turn the ball over. Shoots well from the field. I would also sell high on him if people believe he can sustain that all season. It, it could get really murky when K-Love does come back and eats into those some of those minutes. But it, it's funny, Ryan, I think, called Larry Nance Jr. out specifically at the beginning of the season. <laughs> and now he's coming in and actually turning it on at, at the age of 28. So I did. I, I Because I feel like I've been waiting for him to have his big season for like five years. And I think my call out you know, several months ago was I'm tired of hearing that this is the year Nance breaks out because we've heard it so many times, but maybe this is the year. And and you know what? He, he's had flashes like this before. So yeah, I think we need to see a little bit more, but he's certainly been off to a strong, a strong start this season. And if he's available, pick him up and squeeze that value. And if you can get a decent player back for him, I would be looking into that as well. A couple other players who are getting some short-term benefits here. Kendrick Nunn, the Heat have been really banged up and Nunn has stepped up again back into his role that he had as a rookie last year. I don't think this will last, but again, he's another player just to pick up and squeeze value from him while you can. And then Nas Reed, who has been taking over the center minutes for uh, Carl Anthony Towns while he's dealing with COVID. We've seen players miss uh, two weeks or even more with COVID issues, whether that's having COVID or contact tracing. And so there's a chance that Nasri could be valuable for at least another week or two. He's been a really strong so- source of blocks, decent source of rebounds, and very efficient for a big man. So he is likely available on a lot of waiver wires, and I would be picking him up until Towns comes back as well. And he's been a bit of a block machine over the last couple of weeks, too. Yeah, you got to look on the wire for those steals and blocks machines. They can really change your your team. And sometimes those categories can tend to go um, a little bit overlooked. Yeah, agreed. I, I don't have a lot to say from a fantasy segment. The only thing that I will call out is related to to COVID and the cancellations and the guys that got opportunities to play more. If you're in deeper leagues, say 12-team leagues, 14-team leagues, Guys like maybe Shake Milton, who played really well while while the Sixers had depleted roster as well as Tyrese Maxey. If you still have those guys and people are dumb enough to buy into it, try to get rid of them. Try to get whatever value you can out of them. Um, so any of those types of players would be my suggestion. So that wraps up our Granny Fantasy segment for the week. Let's get to our quiz question of the week. So guys, you've had... Time to think about it, although we've been talked about m- multiple other subjects here. But I'm going to read the question again and give you a chance to answer. And I will bring up that you guys are currently tied in 2021 in our granny quiz question of the week standings. So here's the question once again. Since 2003, which marked the end of the Shaq and Kobe era, two different duos from the same team have finished in the top five in scoring per game. Kyrie and KD seem to be on pace to potentially be another name added to that list. Name those two duos. Is one Russ and KD? Russ and KD are one in 2011 and 2012, which KD finished first and Westbrook finished fifth. How about number two? So I was going to say Russ and KD for the record. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that's uh-huh. the easy one, guys. Okay, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say mine. 
It's, it's built around Russ again. Is it Russ and Harden? No. Oh. Is it Katie and Steph? No. Is it? I'll give you guys Le- one more guess each. <laughs> okay. You're you're, it- you're you're in the wrong era. I'll I'll give you that. I really thought it was Russ and it's, Harden. It's closer uh, to it's closer to the end of the Shaq Kobe era than it is to the Westbrook Harden Katie Steph era. The Denver Nuggets. Oh, Carmelo. Carmelo and Allen Iverson in 2007, 2008. AI finished in third and Melo finished in fourth. So those were the two duos that have finished in the top five in scoring since that Shaq-Kobe era. I thought that was a fun one. I went dug through uh, quite a bit of stats to find that one (laughs) over the past week. And one thing that I noticed while I was doing that that was interesting, and I just want to bring it up, is Allen Iverson for the most part, played 42 minutes a game pretty much every season, which is something you never see anymore these days. Guys are pretty much maxing out at the 36, 37 range right now. And it's just kind of crazy that Allen Iverson pretty much always was playing 42 minutes a night. That's because most people are human beings and can't operate for that long on that many minutes without breaking apart. And Allen Iverson is not of this world. It's just wild. And then I I, I went through and did the math, right? And if you look at, you know, minutes leaders, typical minutes leaders being 36, 37 minutes over these past seasons, and you extend that over the course of a season, AI basically played about 13 more games than, say, the minutes leaders do today by playing those five, six extra minutes, which is just wild to me. So I thought that was a fun fact. And it's not like he was, that was rookie AI. That was back end of his career AI too, playing those minutes on the, on the nuggets. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, fun, fun little fact there. A couple little fun little facts there. So any other final comments, final questions, funny jokes, how you're feeling about muffins and cupcakes before we wrap things up here? I'm so upset about that. Um, uh, you're wrong. Really so. No, you're completely wrong. Just, no. No respect for the baking world. Clearly, I have Ryan, I have no, so much respect for the baking world. Clearly not. You think a muffin and a cake are the same thing? Uh, it's ridiculous. Baking I have, goods have always been so divisive. <laughs> I, I have the utmost respect for bakers. Okay, I want to make that very clear. Anyways, let's wrap things up here. As a reminder to everybody, you can always follow us at Granny NBA on Twitter. Send us an email, grannyshotmba at gmail.com. And please give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. Thanks again for listening to us. This is Granny Shot. We'll talk to you again next week.